I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 22 and Matthew 26. And we're going to go through several scriptures this morning, but this is going to be our text today. And what I wanted to talk to you about this morning is the blood of the new covenant. And so I want to talk to you about the blood of Jesus. Um, this is something that obviously I was kind of doing some research about and just trying to look and see how much is being preached about the blood and, you know, through social media and books and things like that, there's not a whole lot that's being preached right now about the blood of Jesus. And yet, this is so significant. And so, I want you to understand as we get started this morning, your understanding of the blood of Jesus and your faith in the blood of Jesus is the means by which you have peace with God and God has peace with you. And it's also the means by which you overcome Satan. And so I want us to have a better understanding of the blood of the new covenant. In Luke 22, verse 20, the Bible says this. Jesus is at the communion with the disciples. And he says, likewise, also the cup after supper, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And this is very important. A lot of times we read that, we just kind of skim through it and say, oh yeah, the cup, the grape juice, the wine, whatever, that represents the blood of Jesus who died for us. But stop for a moment and really look at that verse because it's extremely powerful. It says this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant, a new agreement that God is making with mankind. It's not the agreement that he made with Israel through Moses in the giving of that law and the blood of those lambs. This is a new one. And this new one is represented in that cup that we take to remember what Jesus has done for us. But he says specifically that this new covenant is in his blood. There is no new covenant apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it is important for us to know what this new covenant is because this is the celebration of life and freedom. In Matthew 26, Jesus again, it's the same situation, but Matthew records it with just a little bit different, same point, but a little bit different. And he says in verse 28, at the table of the Last Supper, he says, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So, Jesus is telling us very clearly that his blood is the means of the new covenant. The new covenant is in his blood. And that is important. Now, when you read the book of Hebrews and you begin to see the work of the high priest and the blood of Jesus, as opposed to the blood of the lambs and the goats and the bulls, then you might begin to have a greater appreciation of the blood of this new covenant. And so this is the blood of the New Testament. And so I want to bring this out to us this morning. God has an answer for every human need. Now this is, listen to this. God has an answer for every human need. Every one of us in this room has a need. And God's work is by taking us out of the way and substituting his son Jesus in that place. So whatever the need is for humanity, whatever the need is for you, what he wants to do is remove you and substitute his son in that place. 
Whatever it is, if, if you lack wisdom, he wants to remove you and put the wisdom of Jesus there. If you lack power, he wants to remove you and put the power of Jesus there. He wants to put Jesus in the place of your need. Jesus died in our place so that we might be forgiven. Jesus lives in our place so we can be delivered. And that is really important for us to understand. If we're going to value the blood, we have to understand it is the means of my forgiveness and the means of my deliverance. Very important. Jesus died on the cross to secure our forgiveness. He lives before the Father to secure our victory. This is very important. Most people today, many Christians today, when you talk to them about Jesus and the gospel, they will merely refer to an act of history where Jesus died for us on a cross. That's half a gospel. Because you're talking about the means of God forgiving man. But if you leave out the other part that he lives, then you're taking out the victory for man. And this is expressed to us in Romans chapter 5. And I want to read this with you. And so stay with me. These scriptures are, I believe, very important for us to have an understanding and a revelation from God. In Romans chapter 5, we're told this in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So how many of you know Jesus lives? He did die. But how many of you know he lives? So if when he died, we were reconciled to God, then what is happening because he lives? And because he lives, we're saved. We're saved. And so a lot of people are trying to find salvation on the basis of his death. When really to find salvation, we need to thrive with him in his life. Because he lives so that we might be saved. And in order for us to do this, we have to rest in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have to understand what this means. And I want you to see again, just reminding you before we move on, how Jesus described it. His blood is the new covenant. The new covenant exists because of the blood of Jesus. And there would be no new covenant without his blood. And so I want you to understand that. Now, in the book of Romans, it is revealed here what man's problem is. And I want you to listen to me carefully. Man's problem is sins, plural, and sin, singularly. That's man's problem. And that is man's curse. Sins, plural, and sin, singular. And Romans deals with this. If you were to read Romans 1 into Romans chapter 5, you would find that Paul primarily deals with sins, plural, multitudes of sins, more sins than we can count. That's what we're all guilty of. You cannot confess all of your sins. You're not even aware of all of your sins. So we have multitudes of sins. And in Romans 1 into Romans 5, this is what Paul is dealing with. For all have sinned. This is sins, an act of rebellion or an act of disobedience or an act of treason against God. And that is our, because we've sinned, we're going to die. 
And in Romans chapter 5 through Romans chapter 8, Paul is primarily dealing with sin. Singular. Which is really the great problem in our life. They're both a problem, but it is the sin that is the great problem in our life. God can have no fellowship with sin. He cannot. It is our sins that separate us from God. It is sin that hinders us from knowing God or being comfortable with God. Sin is the barrier of our fellowship with God. Sin provides Satan the ground for accusing us and our knowledge of sins causes us to agree with Satan more than we agree with God. Because we're aware of the fact, I'm not perfect yet. There's sins in my life. Our sense of guilt gives Satan ground in our hearts to accuse us and to condemn us and to promote his accusations against us. Satan comes along and says, you have sinned. And we can't say, no, I haven't. So he's got us. And in that type of argument, he oftentimes brings believers down Because they're not understanding the life that Jesus lives. And in that life that he lives, he saves us. And so we need salvation. We need salvation from sins. And we need salvation from sin. We need salvation. And this is the great need of man and the great problem of man. So God did or provided what we needed. We needed someone to create a new covenant because none of us could fulfill the old covenant. The Jews could not fulfill the old covenant. Therefore, God, even in establishing the old covenant, began immediately to prophesy of a new covenant that would come. Because the whole intention of the old covenant was to be a means of teaching that you cannot be righteous. Apart from me. And you cannot get rid of one of your sins because of sin. And so God brought us the solution. Which is the new covenant. Which is only possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so here in the new covenant. God can restore the sinner to God. And he can deal with our sins and our sin. Someone would be able to restore us to God and would silence Satan's arguments against us. And if he could silence Satan's arguments against us, he could bring rest and alleviate us from our guilt that we know we have before God. And this is the miracle of the blood of Jesus. And I dare say that there's many people in the churches today That do not have this rest or this peace. They're still trying to earn it. They're still trying to gain it. When it is a gift that is freely offered. If someone would just believe. And so what God has done. Or what he has to do. In this salvation. Is our sins have to be dealt with. And our sin has to be dealt with. Our guilt has to be dealt with. And our guilty conscience has to be given peace. And the attack of the enemy against my life has got to be stopped. How many of you want that? 
I want the enemy to not be able to attack me anymore and have such success. Doesn't mean he's going to stop attacking, but it's like, you know, an ant crawling up to you and saying, I'm just going to bring you down today. And you're like, no, you're not. You're just not going to do it, you know. If I let the ant, it could bite me, you know, or whatever, but I don't have to let it. So the value of the blood operates in these three ways. It's for God, it's for man, and it's against Satan. And so this is what I want to teach us and I want us to be able to do. Now, if you're to be saved and you're to be free and you're to be forgiven, you have to have faith in the blood. All right. Many of the songs that we sung growing up were about the blood. There's power in the blood. Right. And there is there's still power in the blood, the wonder work and power of the blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood on a hill far away. You know, it talks about the blood. And this is something we need to talk often about is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing you have to understand if you're going to know the value of the blood is that you have to understand first and foremost, the blood is for God. The blood is for the Father. You have to know this because you've never seen it. You've never felt it. You've never observed it. But it is for God because the Father has seen it. And the Father has observed it. And so we have to believe that God, the Father, values the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. We are forgiven not because God overlooks our sins, but because God sees the blood. That's why we're forgiven. He sees the blood. If the blood is to have value to me, then I must believe it is valuable to God. I must believe that. Many people have a hard time believing that. God who announces my sin and my judgment is the same God who announces my pardon. The God who says I'm guilty is the same God who says I am righteous. If I believe him in regards to my guilt, why can I not believe him in regards to my righteousness? Most of the time it's because I'm trying to look at myself and within myself for the answer. But the answer is the blood on the mercy seat before the Father. And I have to believe that. I'm going to help you this morning in an, in an effort for you to really believe that. And so if I, can believe, I can't believe God as to my justification, then why should I believe God as to my sin? If God says I am justified, then I should believe that. But if I can't believe God who tells me I'm justified, then why should I even believe it when he says I'm a sinner? But you see, the devil helps you believe you're a sinner. But it is the Holy Ghost who's here to help you believe that you're forgiven. He is your great witness and your great partner. If I believe in sin, then believe in righteousness. If you believe in hell, then believe in heaven. If you believe you're going to hell because you've sinned, And your father Adam sinned, then believe you're going to heaven because your father Jesus didn't sin. And because he's given you righteousness. And the same God who tells me I'm lost is the God who tells me I'm found. So I choose to believe him. So God sees the blood. It is for God. 
first and foremost, it is for God. And you have to believe that. So let me give you two examples. On the Day of Atonement, which is one of the feast days of Israel, which I'm believing we'll probably be studying here at some time this year. On the Day of Atonement, it was this one day that one man in all of the nation of Israel was allowed to go into what we call the Holy of Holies. So in the, in the tent or the tabernacle, there was one doorway where a person could come as a priest and enter or begin to enter the presence of God. And so they would come to that one doorway, we call it the gate, and the priest could go past that gate and they would go into the court where there was the laver, and the laver was there so that they could wash themselves from the blood of all the sacrifices that they would make. And the priest then would be able to go into a, a tent that was divided in two. The first place of the tent was called the holy place. And many of the priests would go into the holy place to do sacrifices and to praise God. But beyond the holy place was this thick, thick veil, this thick curtain. And nobody could pass that because on the other side of that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And that place was called the Holy of Holies. And that is where God said his presence would dwell. And no man was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies except the high priest one day out of the year to take the blood of the sacrifices for the people and go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat in the presence of God. Nobody saw that happen. But the high priest and God. The curtain sealed it all off. No other priest saw it. No other Jew saw it. They just had to believe that the high priest who went in there and sprinkled the blood satisfied God for another year. And God would still dwell with us and we would be safe. Another example of this is in the exodus of Israel from Egypt. And you remember the great night of Passover. And so God told the Jews and he said, listen, I'm going to come through the land, the angel of death. And we're going to kill the firstborn of everything. And if you want to escape this death, then what you need to do is you need to take a lamb and you need to slay the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb. And where do you put it? You put it on the outside of your house and you take the blood of that lamb and you just paint the doorpost of your house. And God said, when I see the blood, the blood was not for the people in the house. They didn't see it except for when they put it on. And after they put it on, they had to stay in that house. If they were to leave that house and that covering of blood, they would die. So they had to go into the house after the blood was put on the doorpost and they had to believe as they would begin to hear people all through Egypt screaming in horror as their children were dying that we are safe because God is going to see this blood. And they could not come out of that house until the morning and they just had to believe. That's like us. We have to believe. 
We have to believe, though we don't see that blood, we have to believe that God does and God values it. And because God values the blood and we're hoping in the blood of Jesus Christ that we are safe. So the question would be is, how do we know that God values it? Well, how do we know that God valued the blood on the day of atonement when the high priest went in to sprinkle the mercy seat? How do we know that God valued that? Because the high priest came out. And had the blood not been sufficient when the high priest went in there to sprinkle it before God, that one day the high priest would have dropped dead in the presence of God. So how do we know that God values the blood of his son? Because he came out. He came out of the grave. He ascended up into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God. How do we know? Because Jesus said, I will come again to you. I will send you another, and that is the Holy Spirit, who is the deposit and the testimony that God, the Father in heaven, has approved of the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are forgiven. And that's the witness of the Holy Spirit. You have to have that witness of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. And so it's, it's not just this, oh, I'm in the church and I'm hoping I'm safe and I hope I go to heaven one day. No, no, no. It's a lot more than that. The Holy Spirit actually comes inside of you and testifies to you. The blood is accepted and you are forgiven. Praise God. And so that has to be something we believe in the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that is the issue and the problem of our life is our sins and our sin. And so God dealt with our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God dealt with our sin, singular, by the cross of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that when Jesus died, as you know, that there was a great earthquake when Jesus was on the cross. And something, this curtain that was in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It was so thick, you couldn't tear it, it couldn't be rent apart. But the testimony of the priest was, when Jesus was on the cross dying, that the veil was torn from top to bottom. God tore it. And one of the things that's so remarkable is after the death of Jesus and his resurrection, many, many Pharisees believed on Jesus. And one of the reasons why is because when that veil tore, it represented the bankruptcy of Israel's religion. There was no Ark of the Covenant in there. There was no God in that Holy of Holies. That God had come in flesh and he was Jesus Christ. And when God, Jesus, died on the cross, he was the veil. That was the veil of his flesh. And in putting himself on that cross and his flesh being torn, he opened up the access to God so that the Bible says, whosoever will can come. I have made you all Kings 
and priest unto my Father. And now you can talk to him directly. Why? Because I'm telling you, Jesus would say, you're not sinners anymore. You're saints. You're righteous. You live before my Father as though you had never sinned because I have dealt with your sins and your sin. And, I, and the sanctification of our life is learning how through the blood of Jesus Christ to deal with our sin. Our sin is the principle of iniquity that lives in us. It is our sin, the principle, the nature of rebellion that is in every one of us. And it still is, even though you're born again. You still have this old man. That old man, some preachers call it the flesh, is that nature of iniquity. There is no remedy for it. God is not trying to reform it. He's not trying to make a better you. The only answer for that sin, that nature of rebellion, is to be crucified with Christ. And that is why we commit sins. Because we have sin. We have a principle of disobedience and rebellion in our old man. That still to this day rises up against God. Leads us into temptation. Allows us to be enticed by the devil. And we find ourselves as Christians committing sins. And beloved, you, and I'm going to teach you about this next week. But you have to understand the means of forgiveness, the ground of peace, and the way we defeat the enemy is all through the same blood of Jesus Christ. There's not a new way. It's not like, okay, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven because of the blood. Now, this is how you're going to have to be. Your hair has to be this long. Your clothes have to look like this. You can wear the watch on this hand. But if you wear it on the other hand, you're a sinner. You have to do it. Give this. You have to. And if you're going to have all of this right, you got no, 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 no. These are the rules and regulations of men. If your sins are going to be forgiven, it's going to be by your faith in the blood of the lamb. And if you're going to walk in holiness before God, it's going to be because you have faith in the blood of the Lamb. And that faith in the blood is going to allow God to work in your life legally to make you more and more like Jesus Christ, to give you a peace in your conscience, and to overcome Satan at every turn of your life. And you will live in great freedom and great joy and great liberty. Because your hope is not in your own self-righteousness. It is in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're going to magnify the blood for a few weeks here. And just talk about all that it means for us. But your sins have been dealt with. Your sin has been dealt with. And God has given you access into the presence of his Father. At any moment, any time, because of the blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray this morning that you have peace, you have peace in your heart, you have peace with God, and that you will be able to rest in the Lord. My, I guess if you're troubled or you're disturbed, I would ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to grant to you a revelation and an understanding of how much God values the blood of his son Jesus and how it is more than enough 
to keep you, to save you, to restore you, and to, and to carry you all the way home. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that as we just sit here for a few minutes this morning, that we would rejoice in the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, that we would see the value of just keeping our life under the blood. That we would have great faith that, Lord, you believe in the blood of Jesus. You rest in the blood of Jesus. Therefore, we can rest in the blood of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that we can plead this blood over our life over our homes, over our families, over our children, over our finances. And it is as powerful today as it was the day that Jesus shed that blood. And it is as valuable to you today, and it will be for all eternity. It will forever speak to you about our forgiveness and our pardon. Oh, Father, I pray that You would let people know today who have faith in Jesus that they are forgiven. They can't cry enough to take one sin away, but one drop of the blood takes them all away. And Father, I pray that they would know that they're forgiven, and I pray, Father, that they would live in victory because of the life that you now live. And that we're joined to you in that life. So I pray your blessings upon them. Take this to heart this morning. Don't let the devil disturb you. Rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Because of the blood, rebuke the devil. He has no legal right to condemn you. Romans 8 says God has justified you. Don't let him do it. It's like letting that little ant torment you all day long when you could roll him up toss him aside in the name of Jesus don't give ground to the devil 